Okay, so this morning, uh, in the month of January here, we have been focusing in on our vision statement because we want to get everybody pulling in the same direction. And so we're going to go back through our vision statement again real quick. We are a church that reaches intentionally into the local and global community, developing authentic relationships. We are a church that loves people wherever they are, especially in their brokenness and messiness, but loves them too much to let them stay there. Now, this third part here uh, is what we will be talking about today. We are a church that imitates Jesus seeking real-life change through obedience, being transformed by the Holy Spirit, and following Christ's example. We are a church that duplicates this process through relational ministry, making disciples that make disciples. This is the personal responsibility of everyone who follows Jesus. Now, we want everyone to commit this to memory. But maybe you're like, oh, I'm learning it. But I would just encourage you to remember RLID, and it just stands for Reach, Love, Imitate, and Duplicate. And then it can kind of help you get, and if somebody says, what's your church about? Oh, well, we reach into the local and global community to make friendships. We love people where they are, but we don't let them stay there. We imitate Jesus. We want to look like Jesus, and then we want to go make disciples that make disciples. We want to duplicate the process. So we want to really specifically look today at the third component. We are a church that imitates Jesus, seeking real life change through obedience, being transformed by the Holy Spirit, and following Christ's example. Now, we have talked over the the last few weeks and even over the last couple years about our definition of a disciple. A disciple is someone who is following Jesus with their head. They're making decisions. They make that initial decision to give their life to Christ. But then after that, whether it's in the boardroom or in the classroom or in the locker room or in their marriage or parenting or singleness or whatever it might be, we are making decisions that honor Jesus with our brain. Then the second thing is we are about being transformed by Jesus. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, we are changing. And then lastly, we are on mission with Jesus, with our hands. Um, Maybe that involves going to Starbucks and having a cup of coffee with a friend that's grieving or with someone who wants to know more about Christ. Uh, It might involve going to a homeless shelter and sharing a meal with with someone in need, or it might mean going to a a, a short-term mission trip. But the vast majority of what we do on mission with Jesus occurs right here in our local community. And so this morning, we are going to look at that third component of our vision statement and the second part of our definition of a disciple because they are basically one in the same. So let's get started. So um, I had a professor in, in college that taught our doctor in a grace class who taught me more about grace than anybody else. And he had this really easy little saying that he said, before you come to Christ, you have the double trouble. And basically, that is that you are guilty before God and lost, and then you are also sin sick. You can't overcome your sin without the help of somebody. But after we come to Christ, then we have the double cure. And we see this on the first day of the church. The Jews have realized that they have killed the Messiah, and they ask Peter, basically, what what do we need to do to be saved? And he says, repent and be baptized, and then he gives them the double cure. He says, for the forgiveness of your sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
So the first part of the double trouble is we're guilty before God. But then after we become a Christian, the first part of the double cure, we are forgiven. Then the second part of the double trouble is that we have, we're sin sick. But after we come to Christ, we have the second part of the double cure. We have the Holy Spirit living in us that will bring about holiness. Now, the sad thing is, is that many Christians latch on to that first part and they're, I'm saved. And they kind of don't put the second part, they don't put as much emphasis on the second part. And that's what we want to talk about today. I want to make a quick note because it's kind of out of the scope of this message today that we have to remember that we are saved by grace through faith and not by obedience, but the saved person who has the Holy Spirit living in them, obedience is a natural outflowing of their faith. They can't help it because, again, the Holy Spirit is living in them. So I want to share with you a little bit that's been going on in my life here recently. Um, About five years ago, I had a health scare, and and I got my act together, lost a lot of weight, and started eating healthy. But then over time, just kind of let it go, and then like last year hasn't been that great. And probably the last four months, I would describe it as I just kind of gradually rolled towards the edge of the wagon and then just fell off the wagon. And I I, I just was feeling crummy and didn't have any energy, and I gained a lot of weight. And so um, I thought, man... I need to do something. So I started really looking at uh, uh, nutrition about five years ago. My friend Cherie told me, she said, Jim, you don't need to have a special diet. You need to have a lifestyle change. And so I started to really look at nutrition and I started to learn about superfoods and I learned about the things that needed to go out of my diet and I, things I needed to put in my diet. And so I went after the first superfood that I needed to get. Now I preface this by saying that I grew up in a time when basically there was beef and pork and mashed potatoes and gravy, baked potatoes with sour cream on them, and we did have fruit in the form of cherry pies, peach pies, apple pies, all right? And so uh, then I get out of school. In my previous life, I was an accountant, so, you know, right away, fast food and stress. And so I've never been the guy that shopped in the vegetable aisle very much. So I go uh, into Walmart to the vegetable area, and I'm looking for this su- first superfood, and I'm looking all over for it, and I'm like, great, I don't see it. But there are these bins of things sitting there, but they're unmarked. And so I went over to the guy that was there, and this guy should be like the vegetable and produce guy of the year. He was so helpful. And I'm, I'm, I'm mispronouncing this on purpose. You'll understand why. I looked at him, and I said, do you have avocados? And so... He says, uh, yeah, they're right over there in the bin. And I'm like, okay, I just need to tell you this. I've never touched an avocado in my life. I don't know where, where they are. And so he goes over and he points them out. And I'm looking at these things. They're green and brown. And I'm like, which one do you get today? And so he points. He was so helpful. He realized I did not have a clue. And I said, so you just take them home and mash them? And he said, no, you have to like cut them and take the seed out and all that stuff. And so I, you know, I did all that. I took it home and I, uh, and Cheryl comes in the door and I'm like, I bought my own avocados. They made my own avocado dip. I thought she'd be like, I'm so proud of you. But instead she goes, it's avocados. It's avocados. And I'm like, no, no. And she goes, no, it's avocados. And I just know to stop arguing right there. Uh, Just as a side note between Cheryl and Jordan, that's their mission in life is to help me to pronounce words correctly. Okay. (laughs) Jordan and I work on it on every Thursday morning. So I go over to Kroger's and I'm starting my next quest. 
And I go up to this young kid and I said, hey, do you have cacao powder? And he looks at me like, huh? And I look back at him like, huh? And, and I'm like, he goes, what is it? I said, I don't know. I just know I'm supposed to eat it. And so uh, he gets out his little handheld thing and he goes, okay, it's in this aisle. And the lady that was working with him heard me ask about chia seeds, and she said it's in this aisle, and I was happy to know that it wasn't bird seed. It was actually human stuff, and so I went and got it. And then I knew where the baby spinach was, so I didn't have to humiliate myself again. I get over there, and it was not obvious. And so I had to ask the produce person over at Kroger's, where's the baby spinach, which one do I get, and all that stuff. Now, I bring this up to you because I put this stuff in my diet. It has made a difference. And... These superfoods are packed full of uh, vitamins and minerals. They help give you energy. They'll help you lose weight. They make you feel full. They improve your memory. There's just all kinds of reasons to have them. And I've gotten rid of some things I did not need to have. The reason why it was so important for me to read up on them and then go ask questions that were kind of embarrassing to ask was because it's important to me. I want to do a good job here for all of you. I need energy. I want to be around for my kids and my wife. And so it's important to me. So now, the reason this is tied to what we're talking about is this. The passage that we're reading or studying this morning is basically the chia seed, cacao powder, baby spinach, avocado, superfood passage on transformation. And if you study it, and just meditate over it and let it wash over you. It will help you shed sin. It is packed full of spiritual minerals and vitamins, and it will help you grow healthier. And more importantly, because this is stuff we need to know, it has an eternal value, not just something that's just here on earth. It has an eternal value, and that's why it makes it so important to look at this passage. So let's get started. We're in Ephesians 4, 17. So I tell you this and insist on it. Now, Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus, and he says, I insist on it. He doesn't say this is just a good idea. I insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do, or in other words, the non-believers, in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality, so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, they are full of greed. That, however, is not the way of the life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. Pay close attention to verse 22. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitudes of your minds. So this first big takeaway is this, that when we become a Christian, the old person goes away. Not the physical old person, but the spiritual old person goes away, and the new spiritual person is there, because now we have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Paul continues to drive this home in some companion verses. He tells the Corinthian church, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. In Romans 6, 5 through 7, he says, For if you have been, if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. 
For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with. Our old body that sinned is gone. This is so important. Remember this, the, the second part of the double trouble and the double cure? We could not get over our sin sickness, but now once we come to Christ and we have the double cure, then we have the Holy Spirit living in us, and He, through His Word and just power, helps us overcome sin. Sin no longer has to reside in our life and control it. That the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. That's so rewarding and so freeing. To the church in Colossae writes, do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge and the image of its creator. Again, the takeaway here is that when we become Christians, the old is gone and the new is here. And the question becomes, are we different than we were a year ago or 30 years ago? Maybe we've been Christians for 50 years. Are we different than the person we were 50 years ago? Because that old person's gone and the new person is here. Let's move on to the next uh, passage here. Ephesians 4, 22 through 24. We are going to jump back a little bit. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires to be made new in the attitude of your minds. Verse 24, pay close attention. And to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. See, when we become Christians, the old is gone. And now Jesus says, hey, the old is gone, the new is coming. And now here's the direction in which you need to head. And we need to look like our creator God. We should have the righteousness and the holiness of our creator God. There's a great companion verse found in 2 Corinthians 3.18. In this particular case, we're using the New Revised Standard Version because it uses the word mere. It's a very good translation of it. And all of us with unveiled faces, seeing the glory of the Lord as though reflected in a mirror, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord the Spirit. So we think about it like this, that we stand in front of our mirror every day, and when we look into that mirror, we should see Jesus looking more and more back at us every day. We grow in degrees through the help of the Holy Spirit to look more like Jesus. And I'll just be real honest with you, there are days when that does not happen. I don't look like Jesus very much. But I would hope that over my life that I've grown to look more and more like Jesus but that's what we're called to do. So we're told in this passage, okay, the old is gone, the new is here because you have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And now Paul has given us a direction and he says, what you're going for is that you will look more and more like Jesus every day. When you look in the mirror, you should be able to see Jesus looking back. And then he says, okay, now here's some of the things that you can do so that you begin to do that. Most of the stuff that we're going to talk about here in these next coming verses, we know. But sadly, it permeates a lot of our lives, myself included. 
if we're going to be disciples who imitate Jesus, seeking real life change through obedience, being changed by the Holy Spirit and following Christ's example, we have to embrace this material and let it wash over our souls and work on us. Okay, we pick up in Ephesians 4.25, and Paul starts to tell the Ephesians what they need to do. And we're looking in over their, their shoulders because this applies to the church in general. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. This is simply the Christian principle of Christians tell the truth. Let our yes be yes and our no be no. Christians shouldn't tell white lies. It's just that easy. Our kids shouldn't hear us say, hey, tell them that we're not here. We don't, you know, want a benefit of something, maybe a program we want to take advantage of. It's like, well, I got to lie on that to get take advantage of because what that's saying is, as a Christian, I have to lie because I don't trust the Lord to provide in another manner. The Christian simply always tells the truth. Then we go to the next verse. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. It doesn't say we can't be angry. In fact, sometimes we should have righteous anger. But the bigger issue is here that we can't sin in our anger. And then the other part is don't let the sun go down. Maybe just don't, let, don't go to bed mad. I don't know about all of you, but if I go to bed mad, I sleep bad, and then I wake up, and then I'm a way worse mood than when I went to bed. Think about this verse if it was put into practice in our homes. Instead of going to bed mad at night, we instead said, hey, we love you. We're not going to resolve this tonight, but we just need to pray about this, and we'll resolve it when cooler temperatures are in place. Then anyone who has been stealing must no longer steal, but must work doing something useful with their hands that they may have something to share with those in need. This is the Christian principle that we work for what we get. We don't steal from somebody else to provide our own meals. But it's the Christian principle also we just don't steal. And, and, and on the job, Christians should be the most honest employers. We're always giving our employers 100% of everything they pay us for and even more. Christians should be the most honest, high-integrity employees in an organization. Verse 29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. We always have to be careful when we go through this, that Christians are not influenced by the culture. That's not where we get our decision-making. We make our decisions based off the Word of God. And our culture loves unwholesome talk. And Christians should be marked by wholesome talk. But also within the home, that particularly with little ears that hear, they should hear words of encouragement going out to other people, maybe another child or a spouse or whatever. This is an area where I, I have to work at. And then verse 30, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. We have to remember, it's easy to forget because we don't see him physically, but the Holy Spirit goes with us everywhere we go. He goes into the boardroom. He goes into the locker room. He goes into our marriage, into our parenting, into our singleness. He's out on the ball field, in the band room. And as we go about making decisions, we don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit. We want to cause the, the Holy Spirit not to cry, but to be 
joyful with us. And then Paul makes us a list here, and he says, now listen, these are the things that you need to get rid of, because remember, the old is gone, the new is here, this is the direction you're headed, you're going to go look like Jesus and have his righteousness and holiness. And so he starts out, get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Malice just being, hey, I hope something bad happens to that person, I don't like him. Out of all these, I think one of the ones that may be one of the hardest to get over is bitterness. You can have something happen in your childhood, and you can spend your entire childhood and then your adult life being bitter towards somebody that has done something to you. You may be bitter towards an ex-spouse. You may be bitter towards your spouse you have now. But God tells you, he says, get rid of bitterness. Now, this does not mean that what that person did to you wasn't wrong. No, it more than likely was. But as you read this and you go, you know what? God, you told me to get rid of this, and I'm going to ask you to heal my soul. And I can't carry this burden anymore, and I'm going to hand it to you. I know you will write this wrong, and I'm going to get rid of the bitterness. And it's a weight off our shoulders, plus we start to reflect Jesus more in our lives. And so he says, get rid of these things, and now I want you to trade them in for these things. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. Can you imagine what would happen in our homes if these were the center points, that we showed kindness and compassion to each other, we forgave quickly because Jesus forgave us? Then we get to 5.1. Now, This passage in the NIV says, follow God's example, but in most translations it says, imitate God. And this is the scriptural basis for our third component of our vision statement, to imitate Jesus seeking real life change through obedience. So follow God's example or imitate God, therefore as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love just as Christ loved and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. We should be characterized by people that walk in love. That should be something that's obvious to the people that we come in contact with. Verse 3, but among you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or greed because these are improper for God's holy people, nor should there be any obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking which are out of place but rather thanksgiving. Folks, our society embraces sexual immorality. And this is telling us as Christians that there shouldn't even be a hint of it in our lives. And again, the culture does not shape our belief system as Christians. God's Word shapes our belief system. We don't look and go, well, they do it, or they do it, or they're even Christians and they do it. We don't do it. We look at the Scriptures and it says, okay, there's not even supposed to be a hint of sexual immorality in my life. And it just causes us to really have to stop and think what's going on. When I was growing up, when we talked about obscenity, foolish talking, or coarse joking, that was just called cussing. But now, you know, it's like, well, you know, cussing, you know, it's not a big deal. It's a cultural thing now. All you have to be is in the school system and hear kids. It's just, it's it's amazing the things that are said, just open and out. But cussing's still against God's word. 
and our words as Christians should be tempered by words of thanksgiving. Steve made a comment a couple weeks ago that sometimes he just cringes when he sees Facebook posts by Christians and just lashing out and dumping. Before you hit that next post, just stop and think about it. Think about this and go, are my words that I'm putting out thankful? Is somebody going to look at this and go, hey, they walk with Jesus, they're reflecting Jesus? If not, just don't send it and pray about the problem instead. We think about our entertainment and all kinds of stuff, whether about this hint of sexual immorality. It causes us to think deeply. We get to verse 5. For this, you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. Now, there's two really important things to pull out of this passage. First of all, probably every single person in this room has been immoral, impure, or greedy. This doesn't mean we don't go to heaven. What this means is when a person is immoral, impure, and greedy, and they live in that situation, and they thumb their nose at God and say, I don't care what you say, I'm going to live this lifestyle, they are outside of the will of God, and they're lost. And then it says at the end, therefore do not be partners with them, and this has big impact. This affects our relationships in the business world. you got to understand, we have to associate with people who have the same value system. And so when we go to form a business partnership, maybe we say, you know what, we share different value systems. And we go different directions. This influences our dating if you're single. So on your outline, it says, we scour deeply for inconsistencies in our lives and rid our lives of them. I have inconsistencies in my life, and they've been there for a long time, and I've tried to attack them, and they're getting better. But, man, if anybody sits here and goes, you know, I have inconsistencies, that truthful part would be the, (laughs) take a look at that one. But we want to get rid of those inconsistencies and rid our lives of them. And so you can spend this week just thinking about what are the inconsistencies in my life. You know, we can get into a rut, and that rut can be really comfortable. But anytime you live in the same place for a long period of time, it gets really dirty. So again, the old is gone. The new is here. We have the Holy Spirit living in us. We know the direction we are headed. We are going to look more and more like Jesus. We're going to have his righteousness, his holiness. And we should see patterns in our life so we go to look more like Jesus. Our lying turns to truth. Our sinful anger turns to anger that is dealt with in a godly manner. We go from tearing people down to building them up. We go from grieving the Spirit to pleasing the Spirit. We trade in bitterness, wrath, and slander for forgiveness, tenderheartedness, and gentle words. We replace obscene, silly, and vulgar words with words of thanksgiving. All right, let's close this out with Ephesians 5, 8 through 10. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Remember, light is all about reflection. And the Christian, as a child of light, reflects off God's goodness, righteousness, and truth. That's what we should be known for. And now I want to call special attention to verse 10. 
It's very short. But this verse, I've read over it a million times, and it didn't pop out to me until I was preparing for this. And find out what pleases the Lord. Remember, the old is gone. The new is here. Our direction is to go look like Jesus. Here are the things that need to go. Here are the things we need to add. But this is just the start. He says, Paul tells us, he said, find out what pleases the Lord. You see, this is a big paradigm shift. Our transformation will be greatly accelerated when we go from an attitude of, Lord, feed me and grow me so I can be happy and fulfilled in you, to, Lord, please show me your way so I can honor you and please you. And in the end, when we have an insatiable desire to find out what pleases the Lord and He changes us, we will be filled in the Lord with joy and peace. There are ways here at Discover that we feel the Lord works to help us find out what pleases Him and to grow us up. We encourage people to be in worship every Sunday Praising God through song, through hearing the Word taught, taking communion. It's so important that we take communion every week to remember what He did for us on the cross and to be in community. We encourage people to join a life group and get in a D group. You know, it, the great thing besides the community that happens in a life group and a D group is that it's a safe place to study and ask the questions. You know, I said I had to ask those questions about the superfoods and all, and it was embarrassing. That's the cool thing about a life group. You can go in there. These are your family. And you can say, listen, you know, questions like, the Bible tells us that God is a great, a good father, but like bad things happen. And then the group can, you know, fill in there. They can give you what they think on this and show you scriptures. You may say, I've read this passage, I just don't get it. Okay, well, okay, here's our take on it. And they show you these things. You see, I wanted to know about the superfoods and that type of thing, but that's a, stuff, that's a thing on this earth. We need to ask these questions because this is about eternity. And man, life groups and D groups are a great place to ask the questions. The last couple years, I've had uh, journaling in my life, and I think it's one of the most beneficial things. And, and guys in particular, they're like, yeah, I don't really want to journal too much. That's kind of like keeping a diary. But I would just point uh, to the guys to King David. You know, he was a man's man if there was one. You know, he slew Goliath. That's what he's really famous for. Plus the fact that he killed thousands and all that stuff. He was a made mighty warrior. He even had his guys of David's mighty men. But if you want to read David's journals, just read the Psalms. Memorizing Scripture is a great way to be transformed to look like Jesus. Rick Warren said it's the number one tool for resisting temptation. Maybe you're headed towards a relationship with somebody and you don't think you should go into that, but all of a sudden the Scripture comes out and it says, there shouldn't be a hint of sexual immorality in your life, and all of a sudden you back away. Maybe you're ready to unleash on your family at home because you're so angry, and all of a sudden... Do not sin in your anger pops into your brain and you're like, okay, I'm really mad, but I'm going to walk away from this right now. There's fasting, there's solitude. And we encourage everyone to set aside a daily time to meet the Lord in prayer and study and to just meditate over Scripture and let God tell you what He wants to tell you from His Word. 
I just can't emphasize enough to be a person that asks questions and that we have an insatiable desire to find out what pleases the Lord. Any staff member, elder, would be more than happy. Your life group leaders are more than happy to help you in these areas. But just remember, the old is gone, the new is here. Our direction we are headed is to look more and more like Jesus. Paul has given us the things that we need to get rid of and the things that we need to add in. And lastly, this is just the start. We need to have an insatiable desire to find out what pleases the Lord so every day we will grow to look more and more like Jesus. Next week, Steve is going to be talking about the fourth component, and that is to make disciples that make disciples. Now, the thing about this is uh, when we're making a disciple, maybe, maybe as we're sharing the gospel with somebody for the first time, or maybe they're a Christian, we're just helping them grow up. They don't need a Bible scholar. But what they need is to see somebody who's got life change going on. And when they can look at them and go, man, I remember when your mouth was this, and now your mouth's full of thanksgiving. I remember when you'd fly off the handle real quick, and now you're, you're calm. I remember when you had a bitter spirit, but now you're a joyful person. And all of a sudden, that pulls people in and allows you to be a disciple who makes disciple because that's the personal responsibility of everyone who follows Jesus.